to the extent that is the American Bar Association Business Law Section's podcast series. Our podcasts provide general information. They aren't a substitute for legal advice from a licensed professional. We offer both standalone and serial podcasts on a variety of topics and welcome your feedback and suggestions at ababusinesslaw.americanbar.org. We hope you enjoy your selection. aspiring GCs, whether you're in law school, private practice, government, or in-house, you're in the right place. My name is David Hamm, and I'm the co-chair of the in-house subcommittee of the ABA Corporate Governance Committee. The purpose of the podcast is to help aspiring GCs find practical and actionable guidance that they've been looking for. To that end, we'll be having conversations with leading GCs for the purpose of exploring the path that led them to the role of GC essential skills and characteristics for being a successful GC, current GC hot topics, and practical and actionable advice for aspiring GCs. Before we start the conversation, one quick request. We would love to hear from you. Please send any comments or questions, including any expressions of interest in being part of the ABA Corporate Governance Committee or its small but mighty in-house subcommittee to dph64 at georgetown.edu. That's dph64 at georgetown.edu. Today, I'm very fortunate to be joined by Randy Ebner. Mr. Ebner is former vice president and general counsel of ExxonMobil Corporation. He is and has over the years been actively involved with many legal professional organizations, including the board of directors of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce's Institute for Legal Reform, the National Center State Courts, where he serves as co-chair of the General Counsel Committee, the Civil Justice Reform Group Steering Committee, Chair of the Board of the Center of American and International Law, the National Judicial College's Board of Visitors, and Southern Methodist University's Corporate Council Symposium Board of Advisors, Board Member of the Rolling Center of Business Law and Corporate Leadership at SMU Law School. He is also a member of the Tulane Law School's Dean's Advisory Board, and Board of Advisors for the Tulane Center for Energy Law. In 2019, Chambers and Partners recognized Mr. Ebner as a general counsel influencer for his impact on the legal community. In November 2019, he received the Texas General Counsel Forum's Magnus Stella Award for in-house counsel leadership. He recently presented the 2022 Institute for Energy Law's Deemed of Oil and Gas Lecture, Born in New Jersey, Mr. Ebner holds a Bachelor of Arts degree from Bowdoin College in Brunswick, Maine, and a Juris Doctor degree from Tulane Law School in New Orleans, Louisiana. Randy, thank you for joining me today. I appreciate you taking the time to share your story and insights for aspiring GCs. Thank you, David. I look forward to our discussion. Well, we're going to start with the path that led you to the role of GC. I know uh, we talked a little bit about your great journey at Exxon and ExxonMobil, um, but want to start a little bit before that. When did you know you wanted to become a lawyer? Well, I always uh, was interested in law since I was really probably in middle school. I uh, mm-hmm. loved watching Perry Mason, all the law shows on television. Yeah. But probably more importantly, when I got into high school, I got into high school debate and really enjoyed the adversarial process, the idea of preparing and standing up on my feet and presenting advocacy. 
uh, at that point in time would have been to a tribunal of um, debate uh, judges and really enjoyed that experience. And, said, and I said to myself, this would be really a great career path to follow. I have a brother who is a lawyer who's older than I am, and obviously he had an influence on me as well. That's fantastic. And went to Tulane Law School. I have a little Louisiana connection there. Um, what, what was your time at Tulane like? Great question. I um, went, grew up in New Jersey, as you mentioned, and I went to college in Maine. So I came down to Tulane blindly, never been in the South. Um, <laughs> was very interested in maritime law. Of course, Tulane yeah. is one of the preeminent law schools for maritime law, and that's what drove me down to Tulane. What I found at Tulane was it created for me a really good balance of um, a superb legal education uh, with some phenomenal professors, learning not only the theory, but also the practical side of the law, but also having fun, obviously, it's New Orleans. So I was able to learn the importance early on of the balance between being driven in the career, but also finding time to uh, pull back a little bit and, and, and enjoy life. So you found New Orleans to be a bit different than Maine? I'd say slightly. They do speak <laughs> French in both both states, so there is a common. Oh, interesting. There you go. Well, when did you first realize that you wanted to become a GC one day? I know your story is a little unique, so interested in your perspective on that question. That is a really good question, but to be very fair and honest, I never really even thought about it. I right. always like to tell people, if you go back to when I joined Exxon, in 1980 as a law clerk, $3 per hour. I like to tell people that I started uh, my last semester of law school. And my boss at the time said some last semester beer money. Have fun. <laughs> but um, if someone told me back then you have a choice between box number one, the Powerball lottery ticket and box number two to become general counsel of Exxon, now Exxon Mobil Corporation, I would have taken the Powerball lottery ticket. Every time. <laughs> what I really okay. wanted to do was, you know, have a, have a rewarding career. I had early on direct, interface with clients and was able to hopefully become a practical problem solver. And I found that as I um, started to experience that as a young lawyer, the more I loved understanding business besides just the law side of it mm. and understanding not just the domestic, but the global perspective. And I think that's what drove me to aspire to even um, broader positions within the law department. Yeah. And I, and your story at Exxon, Exxon Mobil, so, so fantastic starting in 1980 and building up just before we get to when you landed to the GC seat, just, I think it'd be helpful. I know you've done it elsewhere, just a couple minutes on that great journey, starting in um, New Orleans and going in litigation, doing the merger, doing all sorts of things. We'd love to just hear a little bit about that journey. Right. Let me just say uh, as a, uh, Introductory comment, I found that, and I learned this very early, it's very important to be flexible and fungible yeah. and be able to experience outside my comfort zone to be successful. Mm. I think that's true not only in a law department, a law firm, wherever you might work, even outside the law profession. But anyway, I started out as actually doing maritime litigation in New Orleans with Exxon in 1980, the classic Gulf of Mexico Jones Act, Longshoreman Act, personal yeah. injury, and other types of cases of that sort. And did that for five years, got a lot of first year experience because back in those days, we did a lot of our litigation in house. So I actually got into the courtroom, both in state and, or then parish and federal court yep. and really enjoyed the experience. And then uh, after about five years, I was transferred to our domestic headquarters in Houston and stayed in litigation, but ended up really focusing more on antitrust and very large oil and gas cases, predominantly in the state of Alaska and California and also around the country. So I learned really um, a lot more of the business 
At that point, I also learned the importance that some of these lawsuits are protracted. They don't go away overnight. Yeah. Uh, that it's really critical as a lawyer to be patient, to be mm-hmm. strategic and be creative, but persevere over a long period of time in the way you manage your cases with, for your clients. Um, so I went through uh, litigation actually for 18 plus years, thinking I was going to be a career litigator with Exxon, Exxon Mobil ultimately, which I really aspired to do. And then um, in 1999, the proposed Exxon Mobil merger was announced. Yeah. I just come off a very large six-month antitrust jury trial out in California in which we prevailed. And uh, surprisingly to me, I was asked to move to Washington for a year to help negotiate the consent decree uh, with the U.S. Federal Trade Commission for the proposed ExxonMobil merger. So I actually went to Washington. Covington and Burling was our outside counsel. I reversed the commitment in effect and spent a year uh, successfully, obviously, um, helping to get the ExxonMobil merger approved and also worked on issues in parallel with the European Commission that were being reviewed for the uh, approval of the merger as well. When the merger did close in 1999, I stayed on the team for one more year overseeing the divestitures that were mandated by both the um, U.S. Federal Trade Commission and the European Commission. Mm. What I found was having all that litigation experience, even though I was now more in a regulatory antitrust world, really was beneficial for me Mm. because I was able to anticipate and hopefully solve issues up front and help mitigate risk during that period. When I was done with the merger work, I then got outside my comfort zone and moved to our chemical company on the transactional side, um, helping to oversee our operations and commercial activities all over the world from the law side, and then moved to our natural gas and power marketing company and was able to learn about uh, LNG, which is very relevant today, as liquefied natural gas, and uh, power, electricity, and other related aspects of the business and actually was able to travel around the world and really, again, broaden my landscape. Then the biggest surprise to me came um, five and a half years later when I was asked to move to our corporate headquarters up here in Dallas to basically become the chief corporate lawyer for the corporation. I had no experience in securities practice or uh, you know board work or governance and uh, took over that role along with a role of uh, being our chief compliance lawyer for the next almost eight years. And this gave me exposure to the board because I served as secretary for both the um, finance and audit committee during those eight years and really uh, learned uh, a different perspective on the business. But most importantly, all those prior experiences had helped me get to that point in time to be able to now translate what I had learned into this new world of corporate governance and securities practice and compliance. I found that historical practice experience to be very, very helpful and useful. And then uh, I was asked uh, after eight years to become general counsel and vice president, which was uh, something, as I said earlier, I would never have bet upon 40 years earlier or 36 years earlier at the time. And uh, it was a great privilege and honor to serve in that role for a great company like ExxonMobil. It sounds like to me you had about 15 careers at one company. <laughs> In effect, people ask me, what's it like working for one client at one company? I said, well, basically, I worked under the same umbrella, but truly my career took many, many different directions. Yeah. And I felt like I worked in you know 10 different uh, parts of the business. But at the same time, the culture, right. the importance of integrity, the importance of, of the values of our company were consistent, irrespective of the area of practice 
yeah. or the geographic location I practiced in. That's a great story, great perspective. So kind of the unexpected, the either the Powerball or getting the, the GC role, what what was it like uh, for those who are listening who want to sit in that seat perhaps one day when when you landed uh, that GC role? Well, you know, I was numb. <laughs> but no, really was, um, fortunately for me, because I had had all that experience, especially in the the eight years leading up to becoming GC, working with um, governance and with the board and having had all those prior experiences across the uh, corporate landscape, including litigation, I found it to be not as um, threatening of uncertainty as I might have if I had come in cold. Yeah. So I think having grown up in the company, keeping my head low, uh, doing the best job I could and continuing to learn as much as I could, and every role I played, irrespective of the, the magnitude of the issue or the level of the client, I found out all really very, very important to my preparation. Also, building a courage of conviction, mm-hmm. building uh, the ability and confidence to provide truthful uh, and honest advice to your clients, even when it's going to be uh, bad news. I found having had all that experience really gave me comfort and confidence and having to take on those challenging issues and be able to present them in a way that was understandable and um, one which the clients can understand um, what the challenges were ahead. Yeah, no, that's really helpful. And I think it's a nice transition to thinking about some essential skills and characteristics for being a successful GC and with your tenure and experience interested in your view as to what skills and characteristics served you well in that role. Number one, in everything we do, even if you're not GC, integrity yeah. is always the highest and most important attribute of any one of us in the profession. And particularly when you're in-house and you're dealing with your clients every day of the week, which again is one of the bonuses in my mind of being in-house, you know, being honest, not hiding from the truth, as I mentioned, yeah. also uh, accountability and ownership. Not everything is going to go the way you want it every day. Mm-hmm. But you've got to be the one who takes ownership and can be accountable for not only the good, but the bad and the ugly, and then not hide from the the unfortunate or unsuccessful results or disappointing results, but be able to learn from them and share those learnings to help mitigate the risk of those happening again in the future. Being a good listener, being a great team player, knowing how to delegate, giving opportunity and license to those who are being developed in your department, I think is very, very critical. You don't always have to be the face, the point person. Sometimes it is necessary. Obviously, it's required under certain circumstances. But being able to inspire your team, I think is very, very important. Developing informal relationships, not only with your lawyers and your support staff in your department, but also with your clients. So it's not always in the formal conference room or the formal meeting that you're interacting, but over lunch or even after work, playing around the golf, playing tennis, being able to make that cell phone call at two o'clock on a Saturday afternoon, if there's an urgent need to talk to your client and having comfort doing that. Um, but, and also succession, always very, very important that you're planning for the future, having a vision. What's this department going to look like when I leave? Right. You want to make sure it's not only seamless, but the objective should be to make sure it's going to be enhanced and it'll make it even better from your own tenure. Yeah, no, great insights. And, and interested in 
your growth, you know, you started 1980, a young lawyer, uh, went throughout so many different great opportunities throughout the career. Where, where have you grown, do you think, over those decades? And how did you identify where you needed to grow in those different stages? I think that's a great question. Um, as I reflect back, certainly when you're a litigator as a young lawyer, you'd have a lot of confidence, but it's probably more external in the courtroom than it is internal dealing with the business folks every day. Mm. I think one of the challenges for me, especially as I converted out of litigation more to the transactional business and corporate side, was having comfort to be able to give advice on that phone call that came in unexpectedly at 10 o'clock in the morning or when the client asked you to come to his or her office. Mm. But also at that point, not only being able to, to give pragmatic advice, but also when I was not comfortable at that point knowing that I would have to ask a lot of good questions, yeah. not being afraid to do so. And then reflecting and saying, let me get back to you on that. Yeah. Rather than just speculating or guessing, just to satisfy the client with the answer uh, at that point in time. As I've mentioned, this is a theme. It's very important that you have courage of conviction, yeah. being diplomatic, of course, when you're providing your view, but also this truth to power. Yeah. I find a lot of lawyers, even when you're dealing as an in-house lawyer with an outside counsel, will not want to really be upfront with the risks or the true evaluation of an issue yeah. with their client. I think having that experience and confidence to be able to do that leads to success. The other thing is being a lawyer that hopefully doesn't give a no answer to everything, certainly right. red zone issues, uh, but those are usually the the um, the rare situation, usually most issues we deal with are gray. Right. So you need to develop practical options for your client. Mm -hmm. You know, doing a deep dive on the issue, coming up with out of the box thinking. And I thought that took a lot of time for me to develop over the years. It's not something you evolve with overnight. Right. That's great. Now, now thinking, pivoting and thinking forward, you know, with the benefit of having the decades of your experience on how law and practice, I know we talked about risk tolerance over the years, changed to your earlier point. Looking forward for future GCs in the next 5, 10, 15 years, what, what do you think will be the skills and characteristics that are needed in the future that perhaps were not as crucial um, in the past several decades? Well, several uh, thoughts in that regard. Number one, I think we all need to think globally. The world is much more connected than it was mm. certainly when I began, and even you go back 10 or 15 years, obviously technology and social media has a lot to do with that. So you can't view any issue in isolation. You got to think about it broadly. You got to think about um, the strategic impact it will have on your client, not only today, but in the future. Well, we always like to say we like to avoid peer victories. That might be helpful today, but might be harmful down the road. Mm. Um, I think I mentioned technology. I think we all need to become much more savvy yeah. regarding the use of technology, the good, the bad, and the ugly in that regard, too. Right. Certainly, technology has created a lot of efficiencies. We've learned that during the pandemic over the last couple of years. But certainly for lawyers, it creates a lot of headaches and heartaches when it comes to emails and other types of technology communications that certainly... Um, can create issues in litigation in particular. Um, I think having a vision, you know, basically having a strategic thought about, okay, let me understand what the business is headed towards over the next five or 10 years as you learn the business strategic plan and figure out ways that your law department can adapt and be ready to address, hopefully ahead of time, 
those special needs. That's helpful. It might not have existed five years ago. Right. I have an old saying, if you look back five years ago, there's no way you could have predicted what the world looks like today. Just think about it. Everything that's happened in the last five years. Absolutely. And, and, and when you're thinking five years into the future, just think about the same challenges. So you're trying to do the best you can to create an organization, a law department that has fungibility and flexibility to transition and have lawyers who are capable of getting outside of their comfort zones or excited about transitioning to new areas, new issues, and new areas of the business that might not have existed uh, four or five years ago. That's that's very helpful. Turning to some GC hot topics or substantive areas that are important for folks aspiring to the GC role to have. What There's so many substantive areas of the law. What would you say are key? I know it's industry specific, but for any GC to have at least a working knowledge of. Yes, an excellent question. Again, this is a generic perspective rather than industry specific as you have identified. Certainly corporate governance. Yeah. You go back in time, obviously Sarbanes-Oxley, post-Enron, WorldCom, et cetera, changed that landscape. Yep. More recently, Dodd-Frank. So I think it is very important for uh, general counsel to have a working knowledge of corporate governance. Many GCs serve a corporate secretary. Yep. Um, and even if they don't, they need to have a team of corporate experts or law experts that they can rely upon in helping you navigate the daily challenges that have exist only here in the U.S., but now globally, as I've yeah. alluded to. Not every company is going to have a global set of issues, but many do these days. Yeah. So having that perspective. I think having a, uh, an understanding of uh, compliance, mm. uh, you know, compliance takes on many, many different hats, be it compliance with Foreign Craft Practices Act, antitrust law, Today, trade regulation and you know sanctions, export controls, all that is relevant to many, many of us yep. uh, with the global geopolitic. So you got to be familiar with geopolitics, yep. being on top of what's happening in the world around you, because that impacts your business and ultimately your legal advice. Unfortunately, I and I use that word intentionally to introduce this: having a litigation skill. I'm somewhat biased, having come in with that background. Yep. As we all know, the every world that we live in, be it the U.S. or external to the U.S., to become much more litigious. Yeah, You really got to understand the adversarial process, how best to mitigate the risks of that, but also to be able to address when that litigation knocks on your door and be prepared to uh, put up your best defense or offense, because sometimes we do serve as plaintiffs. <laughs> yeah, that's extremely helpful. And, and interested, kind of a related question, as you you had a unique opportunity to really grow and mature in a lot of areas of law. But as you sat on top of this huge legal department and a global company, obviously you can't be the subject matter expert on every area of the law. How did you supplement your areas where maybe not perhaps your strongest with either hires or uh, learning? Or how did you? navigate that reality well this is why it's very important to have a team approach right. to uh your organization because no individual lawyer can be an expert in every field if he or she presents himself or herself that way certainly uh you raise a question mark is, right. is that really true <laughs> right. right some self-awareness <laughs> so, so, maybe self-awareness exactly <laughs> so basically you go out you got to be 
um, one who has a team that you can trust, mm-hmm. you can rely upon and give license to. So a lot of my practice over the years, and I learned this coming up the food chain where I was in the other shoes, being the young lawyer or the mid-career lawyer, what really was most inspiring to me is when my boss, ultimately the general counsel of the corporation, allowed me with his or her presence, of course, to be in the room when the ultimate uh, discussion on the legal issue in that practice was being presented. And most of the time allowed me as the expert to present it. Yeah. Goes back to what I said earlier, USGC cannot and should not be the one who has to always present in areas that you're not familiar with. Sometimes you have to, like at a board meeting, so you become familiar. Right. But learning to delegate and have confidence uh, and reliance on a team of experts within your department. And I can't imagine, I can't tell you how much that benefits not only you, but the department as a whole, because these lawyers, when they get those opportunities, it makes not only their day, their month, the year, a lot of times their career. Right. And, and then anticipating future issues, you asked questions about hiring. Yeah. So, you know, the whole world of technology certainly is expanding. So to make sure you have the right expertise in that practice, certainly yeah. today is very relevant. Compliance, uh, environmental, obviously, for every industry today is very, very important. Yeah. Uh, so you, you got to anticipate and at the same time, not be afraid to take talented lawyers who might not have an experience in that area of practice and test them in a new area of practice right. and see if they have that skill to succeed. Because typically, those who can transfer from one practice to another and be successful are the ones who most likely will move up the food chain, even to the general counsel role. That transitions us to the the last part, which is practical and actionable advice for aspiring GCs. And what a great perspective you have uh, on that question. Would love to just hear what advice you'd give to even law students who are starting out their legal career who maybe think, uh, maybe I want to be what Randy was one day. <laughs> what? How can they leverage their law school years to make progress to that end? I think one of the most important things in any practice of law, uh, be it in-house, external, government, regulatory, as a GC, or if you're not even the GC, is being pragmatic, mm. being a problem solver. I think it's very important. You know, law school, we learn a lot of theory. But when you're sitting there in front of your engineer client or your MBA client or whoever, they don't care about some case book you know, case that we learned in law school. They want to know, okay, tell me what this issue is. What are the legal ramifications? What can I do to solve it? Right. I think it's very important from day one. So a lot of law schools have now gone to practical clinic education. Yeah. Yeah. I think the more experience you can have in that regard, I'm not only talking litigation, I'm talking about even on the business or regulatory side, the better. Right. Uh, and even though I was unique in coming in-house right out of law school, you don't have to start in-house. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, if you go to a law firm or come out of a government practice or another type of practice, that is also very, very beneficial uh, because you've had some outside experience and having um, external inward looking sometimes is very, very helpful. Because you've experienced a broader world than just like I did, even though I had a lot of experience, the one corporation umbrella. Um, I think it's very important to be flexible geographically, Mm. that um, it's very difficult, it's very challenging to always want to land in the the geographic location that you aspire to. You can, but not might not be the job you actually want. Right. Um, And also, like I said, take on new, new challenges in areas of practice that 
You might not have originally planned to. I never planned to do what I'm doing today. I wanted to be a maritime lawyer, a litigator. Yeah. And here I am. Um, so it's very rewarding. I can tell you that. You mentioned risk. I think it's very important. And maybe not so much to learn this in law school as such, but when you're a young lawyer, to understand this risk in everything we do in the world. And as a lawyer, you've got to learn to manage risk, but at the same time, not be afraid of risk. Mm. It's nothing is 100% certain, whatever we do, be it a lawsuit, be a transaction, be a regulatory proceeding. You got to be able to evaluate those risks, come up with strategic approaches, and not be afraid of defeat or losing, as I mentioned earlier, not to hide from it. Yeah. I think it's very important to, to, to step out and, uh, you know, take that ownership, take that accountability and share those lessons learned real time with others. Obviously, another important area for, for me as a young lawyer and all the way through my career to this very day, even in retirement, is making sure that within our practice, especially in the corporations, we develop a very diverse population of, of lawyers and law support. Mm. We reflect the world at external to us and we should be reflecting that world internally as well. I think it's very important to continue to be very proactive in encouraging and pursuing a diverse uh, group of um, folks within your organization. It brings better ideas. And this is demographic and beyond. For me, it was global, different cultures. It brings a healthier uh, engagement to the enterprise and allows for lively debate and discussion and different perspectives, which hopefully helps you to develop a better outcome at the end of the day. No, that that's an excellent perspective and encouragement. And thinking through, you know, I know that uh, you mentioned earlier up top before we got on that you're talking to a, a lot of law firms and firm lawyers. What would you say to a firm lawyer um, who's maybe thinking, you know, I'm thinking about transitioning to an in-house context as opposed to a firm context, having dealt with a lot of firm lawyers and in-house lawyers what would you say to them about what perhaps they should think about in making that transition? That's a great question. Um, and you're seeing more and more um, law firm lawyers, even at the partner level, coming in-house than perhaps even 10 or 15 or 20 years ago. Um, first of all, I think it's very important, both for in-house and external par- uh, law firm lawyers, associates, partners, to understand the business, understand mm-hmm. the industry. Because it's very difficult to come in, parachute in if you don't understand the business. So it's important. If I'm a young associate, I'm trying to develop a relationship uh, with my clients, with the various industries in which I represent. Mm. If there's a particular industry I'm involved with or very interested in, be it technology or energy or whatever it might be, I want to, even beyond my normal day-to-day relationship with those clients, I'm externally trying to learn more about it. Yeah, showing a passion, not just this is not a nine to five type of enterprise being a law firm, and certainly not in the house. That's a, a really a fallacy. If people think somehow you come in the house, it's nine to five, you know, Monday <laughs> to Friday. It's not. Trust yeah, me. It's not. <laughs> it's as 24 7, uh, 365 as it gets. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of three o'clock in the morning brainstorms. <laughs> yeah, no billable um, hour barrier to have talk right. to you. You're free. <laughs> but 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 knowing how to relate to, to clients beyond us, the lawyer clients, yeah. if you're an associate or a partner, if you're able to engage with the business folks, because that 
it's almost similar to an outside lawyer developing a relationship with the in-house lawyer. You as an in-house lawyer have to develop relationships with your clients, yeah. your business clients. So being interper- interpersonal, having those skills, being proactive, asking questions, uh, being someone who has a long-term career vision uh, with respect to um, now, if I'm going to go in-house to that industry, that's the industry I want to practice in for the next 20 or 30 years. Yeah. Uh, I know uh, perhaps today versus when I was a young lawyer, you see more mobility as far as uh, young lawyers moving from place to place. Yeah. Um, but from my perspective, if you've been outside, you do come in-house, you've had that experience. And hopefully once you land in-house, that is now your your career path until retirement. Yeah, no, that's really helpful. And, and to that end, your story is so great, starting in you know, the 1980s and staying at one company the whole time and moving up from the bottom to the very, very top. What pieces of advice would you give to more junior in-house attorneys who maybe have GC aspirations? Learn, learn, and learn. Uh, <laughs> Start yeah. with that premise, yeah. right? You've Fair got enough. to understand the business, and you yeah. got to understand if you're working in one part of business, like I was in chemical, giving advice on the chemical business, how does that impact the general en- enterprise? Mm-hmm. You've got to think about all the pieces of the puzzle. So when you're working on one piece, what's the impact of what I'm advising on that one piece could be on all the other pieces of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. So you got to look at everything from what we call the general interest, the broader perspective which means learning and understanding the business and the business evolves every day. So you got to keep up with it. Very important. I mentioned knowing what's going on externally in the world, be it locally or beyond, because what the external world uh, is experiencing is what your clients are going to experience. And you're going to have to be prepared for legal issues that manifest themselves therefrom. So be thinking strategically. Yeah. Uh, not being afraid to go from one practice area, as I mentioned, to another practice area, which is what I experienced, yeah. especially in areas you have no background in. But that's okay, because in effect, in a way, you're being tested. You're you're being tested to see if you have that capability of having a broader aptitude across practice areas, knowing how to lead teams, knowing how to delegate, knowing how to give license to lawyers, knowing how to deliver the difficult messages to your clients, but also being pragmatic, presenting hopefully winnable options at the end of the day. Uh, that's really helpful. In the realm of personal development, what, what are some areas of personal development that you would recommend for aspiring GCs? Well, certainly confidence, <laughs> being able to make effective presentations. Yeah, and It's not just reading off uh, a script, it's not reading off a series of bullet points, but being able to sit in a room one-on-one with a group and being engaging in a way that really um, not only shows your knowledge, but shows you have practical wisdom to help solve the problem. I think it's very important to be able to, to have that ability. You can't really be isolated. Mm-hmm. You know, when I first started, you know, uh, single contributors were probably more than the rule than the exception today, the more the exception, the rule because everything is so team oriented, mm. knowing to lead, how to lead from behind. I should have mentioned that earlier, especially as I was developing my career, you can be an influencer with your, within your law department or within a client organization where you don't have to be the one who always takes credit, but you're developing the strategy. You're advocating for it and others might be buying into it. 
and then they're following through and implementing it. That's awesome. Yeah. So you are the one who actually helped trigger that hopefully successful outcome. So knowing how to lead from behind to me is a critical attribute. In effect, every lawyer is a leader. We wouldn't be in this profession unless we were. I think having uh, the ability to, to develop external relationships is very important, be it in the transactional world, the regulatory world, litigation world, where all of a sudden you are viewed as someone who is not only competent but trustworthy and capable and someone that um, certainly will carry weight, be it in a negotiating room, in a regulatory hearing, or in a courtroom. Um, and that comes with experience over the years. Again, not being afraid uh, to take those risks, even if the outcome ends up being disappointing at the end of the day. Uh, as I mentioned, I think being a team player, you know, not always just looking upwards, but looking across and down, as we like to say, you know, everyone should be viewed upon as someone who's important and equal uh, in what you do every day. Uh, you, I find a lot of people who don't succeed are always upward looking and not looking across or down, uh, you know, where everyone is part of the team and you just view yourself as part of the team as nothing more than that. Um, being a good listener, you know, listening skills are very challenging for a lot of us in the law profession. So we like to be the voice, but it's really important to be a good listener. That's great insight, great perspective. So appreciate your sharing with us. Any closing thoughts you'd have for uh, aspiring GCs? Well, I think uh, the world continues to evolve. Uh, the corporate landscape continues to expand uh, in various fields of business that never even existed years ago. I think there's going to be continuing expanding opportunity for lawyers at corporations and for leaders, ultimately up to the GC level in corporations, I think it's important that we all have aspirations. But at the same time, even if you don't get to the GC level, but you're having an incredibly rewarding career in a corporation, stick with it. Because I can tell you, uh, just because you wear a title or have a certain hat doesn't make you any more important to that enterprise than whatever role you're playing. I do wish everyone best of success, and I'm kind of jealous. I wish I was back 40 years ago starting again because I know the next 40 years are going to be incredibly rewarding to this legal profession, and in particular for all of us who uh, pursue an in-house career. David, I really appreciate this opportunity to speak to you and to um, all those listening into this podcast. Thank you, Randy. This brings us into the conversation. Appreciate uh, Randy, for taking the time and providing aspiring GCs with practical and actionable guidance as they pursue their path to becoming GC, or to your point, just a rewarding uh, future in law. And thank you, aspiring GCs, for joining us. Again, we'd love to hear from you. Please send any comments or questions, including any expressions of interest in being part of the ABA Corporate Governance Committee or its small but mighty in-house subcommittee to dph64 at georgetown.edu. That's dph64 at georgetown.edu. Thank you for listening to the ABA Business Law Section's podcast series, To the Extent That. The section offers a robust collection of content. To explore more about this topic, 
Or to learn about joining the section, visit ambar.org slash bizlaw. That's B-I-Z-L-A-W.